Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Podcana episode 38. We are here with two new Into the Inkland spoilers. Uh, very excited to get them. You know, I was I was wondering if we were going to get one this uh, for this new set, and we didn't get one. We actually got two: one amethyst and one amber. They're pretty exciting. But first, how are you guys doing? How is your weeks in Lorcana been? I know you went to a tournament again, Kawa. Tournament. Uh, I did the tournament grinder over here. Yeah. Uh... I think one of the biggest European Lorcana events uh, took place in Vienna and Austria last weekend. Uh, I came first in the Swiss per in the Swiss portion. I'm gonna keep milking that, by the way, because I played absolutely terribly in my top 16. But you know, I'm gonna take off first in in Swiss. Everyone else, you know, in the top definitely didn't just ID, and I actually won my game. That's definitely not what happened. But um, yeah, it was an absolute blast. Um, the venue was really really cool. Uh, the organizers were awesome. Uh, the whole vibe really um, made me feel like this is exactly what I wanted official OP stuff to look like. Uh, loads of judges around, um, just very well structured and formatted in general. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, if you play well, it, it, it feels good. So um, I traveled quite qu quite the distance, you know, it would have been a bit uh, upsetting if, uh, you know, I didn't perform too well. But got to meet loads of new people. Again, shout out to anyone that did come up and say hi, that recognized me from the podcast. Again, that's going to be weird to, to keep getting used to. But uh, yeah, in terms of the meta, you know, did I find anything really exciting? Any new crazy decks? Uh, no, not not really, unfortunately. Uh, there was a lot of what I expected, a lot of Ruby Amethyst Control, uh, a lot of, you know, Sapphire Steel, uh, Flutes. So all the decks we've been talking about for the past month were there. Your Emerald Steel Discard, your, even your Steel Amethyst, uh, other aggro decks like the, the deck I brought myself. But uh, overall, it was just great because more practice leading into the official announcements for, you know, format and pricing that we're going to get in March is it's just good. So right now I'm feeling really confident, but I'm also very, very, very ready for uh, set three, which is going to be exciting because we've got these two new cards to talk mm -hmm. about. Moin, how's your experience been? Have you broken the meta within the past like week or so? For for me, nothing, not nothing much yeah. has changed last past week. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to getting into these tournaments as well. But mm -hmm. for me, I'll probably wait until the uh, official tournaments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of tournaments, I will make sure Moin goes to this one, guys. If you're interested and you live within Europe, or even if you're from the states, and you want to come over. Uh, the biggest European Lorcana tournament was announced at the previous event. Uh, it's going to take place in Poland on April 6th and April 7th. It's 10,000 euros. However, just to note, I have to say this, this it's not cash. It's going to be a 10k just in product. Like the rest of these events have been, I actually haven't seen a Lorcana tournament where it has been cash pricing so far. Obviously, we want that to change when the official announcement comes out from, from Ravensburger. But uh, again, if you guys want to practice, if you guys just want to have a good time, there's going to be a lot of great people there recommend you guys going if you can make it where is it in poland uh, it's in poznan which is kind of okay. uh, a bit rough for me because there's like two flights a week from dublin that go to poznan so i might have a bit of a journey on my hands but yeah. i will i will make it for sure i'll definitely make it um, but that might be doable by train for me if yeah, you're maybe. if you're in poland um mm -hmm. And you end up anywhere near Krakow, you should go to the salt mines. It's like, you're mm. like, ah, salt mines. That sounds, whatever. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's honestly the most unbelievable, like alien thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, I had the same, I remember I was with my family. We were in Poland and, you know, something pops up on the itinerary, I guess. Like, hey, we're going to these salt mines. Like, ah, oh, whatever. Okay. Uh, you, you descend this elevator deep into the earth, hundreds and hundreds of feet. You get down there. <laughs> 
and you're in, you're like, okay, there's gonna be some kind of cave. What am I gonna see? It's like a freaking cathedral down there. There's like rivers, <laughs> and it's unbelievable. The craziest thing I still to this day I say it all the time. It's the craziest thing I've ever I've ever seen with my human eyes in in my existence. It was just I could not fathom what I was experiencing. So yeah, check that out if you're- if it's So what you're telling me to do is fly to Krakow and then get a train over to Poznan <laughs> just to check out the salt mines. Yeah. Honestly, it's worth it. It was, it's, it's, <laughs> un, it's unreal. Unreal. Um, Kyle, what, what deck did you play at the tournament? Uh, I played Agro Ruby Amethyst, which is the same deck that I played at the previous tournament I went to in Manchester with Raven. I made some very slight adjustments. I think overall the adjustments I made were good. I took out a few rabbits because I felt like that card is a little bit slow in aggro. It's a very good card once you can kind of get the, the bouncing stuff going to get a lot of card draw. But I just subbed in some Cuscos, which I didn't really end up even playing that much. They were just uh, an alternative card to ink. I took out uh, the majority of the like Fan the Flames that I was playing, took out all of the You Can Flies. I put in two befuddles, so I was only playing like two Fan the Flames, two befuddles, and again, if they were in my opening hand, I'd just always keep them for ink, because I'd rather ink them instantly than mulligan them away and then draw them instead of an actual, actually playable card, but overall, uh, yeah, I, I, my, my matchups were pretty good. The only matchup I lost again was at the very start against another aggro player. I lost a high roll, that's literally the only reason I lost the game, because my deck just cannot interact with my opponent's cards mm -hmm. before they quest. Like, I don't run any Teeth and Ambitions. The one thing, again, I don't want to talk about the deck too much. If anyone is interested in the deck, make sure to go over to my channel because I did a full deck breakdown on it. The biggest mistakes that players made against my deck is uh, a lot of the Ruby Amethyst Control players or even any of the Steel players, if they had the, the removal card, like uh, Teeth and Ambitions, right? And let's say I had Arthur on the board, LeFou on the board, and like a Maleficent or Pinocchio. They just always went for the highest questing card, so they'd always just kill off my Pinocchio, or they'd always kill off my Maleficent. That's literally how they lost the game 99% of the time, because if they don't kill the LeFou, then I just keep doing my infinite LeFou combo with Arthur, and I just win the game. Mm. Like, I think they priori prioritized the wrong card, because yes, on paper, that looks like the more threatening card, but once LeFou is still there, three or four turns of that infinite loop, it's just going to be game, honestly. Yeah. So yeah, Fun, that was the biggest mistake. Funny anecdote from the weekend. Um, it was best of three, and, but <laughs> they had the players reveal their ink colors before <laughs> the match started. Uh, oh, bro, I have a, I have a great, <laughs> great story. Oh, so we had to do that at this tournament, which <laughs> I do agree with. It was, it was pretty good. So everyone was sitting down. Oh, what colors are you playing? You know, as soon as anyone said steal a little bit of my heart started beating faster because that's the answer i don't want to hear but uh the advantage for me was everyone thought i was on the ruby amethyst control so i had like emerald steel discard players who ran like fire the cannons and robin hoods mulligan these cards away because they <laughs> thought i was the uh the control version but i was the aggro player so i was like surprise bitch and it was it was so good i got like at the at the end of uh, some of the games after like 2-0 the players actually turned around and said that to me. They were like, as soon as I heard Ruby Amethyst, I got rid of all of my removal. And I'm like, that's a really niche um, a situation where I feel like being able to play a deck that is really popular for a certain ink color, but not playing the version that everyone thinks it is. is a huge, it was Honestly, it was a huge advantage in this tournament, but I rarely think it's going to happen again going forward unless, you know, it's a very specific meta. So that was, that was, it was really cool to, to debate people, honestly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine how that would be advantageous for yeah. you. Mm -hmm. What do you? Uh, I, again, we're gonna talk too much about the list, but 
Why do you keep opting to play Ruby Amethyst this aggro rather than Ruby Amethyst this control? Do you think it's more powerful? Do you think your matchup spread is better? Or do you just like playing the deck more? Uh, I don't think my matchup spread is better by any means. Uh, it was... It was better than I thought. I think my worst matchup is uh, Amber Steel Flute Song because they run some of the cheaper removal cards and with one drop Cinderella, they can just sing all of these things for, for free. But against Emerald Steel Discard and even against Sapphire Steel, the deck can still get there fast enough that uh, I'm not really worried about all of their removal. Like if they have like, oh, okay, if they have like two or three smashes in a row and two grab your swords and a Tinkerbell, then yeah, it's going to be hard to get there. But uh, the, the, the deck... Still had a lot of fuel, even if your board gets removed once, maybe twice. But overall, I think the control Ruby Amethyst deck has more matchup spread. The only reason why I kept opting to play the deck in the past two tournaments was because I knew that 70-80% of the room was going to be Ruby Amethyst. And if that's the case, I think bringing that deck was the right decision. And in this case, it was. Like, if it was ever going to be a steel-focused meta, I would never, never in a million years dream of bringing any aggro deck. Not just that Ruby Amethyst aggro deck, but any aggro deck. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I, I still, I, I said it in my, in my video breakdown, I still think that Ruby Amethyst Control is the best deck in the meta because of how good the matchup spread is, and that's the reason why I brought the deck, simple as. I, I wouldn't bring it for any other reason. Well, so again, we've, we've tried for multiple weeks, the community <laughs> has tried, and the only way that we, that we found to uh, have a good matchup spread and also beat Ruby Amethyst was again Ruby Amethyst. Yeah. Well, yeah. sto the story so far, the story is repeating itself. <laughs> so I will challenge that because there was a large tournament that also happened this weekend online. Um, they hosted a tournament, and mm. uh, yeah, I may or may not have slept through the the check in time, so uh, nice. <laughs> did not compete, but did sign up. I want to talk about the first place deck list. is from Schuler Dunce. Um, it is a Sapphire Steel deck. Uh, won the entire thing. The top 16 was like 11 Ruby Amethyst as well, so it was definitely in a in a hostile field. There's some interesting deck choice or deck decisions that were made or deck build mm -hmm. decisions that I want to talk about. Um, I listened to Schuler's interview uh, for a bit, you know, post-win interview. And by the way, any list we talk about, it's in the description, so that's where you're going to find it. Uh, particularly, he did cut out some of the top-end stuff like Tamatoa and got in Develop Your Brain uh, as well mm -hmm. to be a bit more consistent uh, then outside of that, it's it's pretty standard, but it's a bit, it's a bit more low to the ground, I think. And then also the Gaston intellectual powerhouses, I think, were the additions. Other than that, it's kind of a stock standard list. I do still think that Sapphire Steel is pretty powerful into Ruby Amethyst. I don't think it's like a super favorite matchup by any means. Also, if people are responding to there being a lot of, like, there is a deck that exists in the game that if there is a lot of Sapphire Steel showing up to the tournament that you could bring and just absolutely dunk mm -hmm. on all those decks, which is... Um, which is Ruby Ruby Sapphire, Ruby the Sapphire. ramp deck. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's a really, really bad matchup. Um, what are y'all's thoughts? I mean, this is like two back-to-back -back big online tournaments that have very, very strong Sapphire Steel showings. I know we've seen Sapphire Steel perform well on the ladder. Do you guys think that this deck rivals Ruby Amethyst in power level? I think it, it can get there against it. Uh, I think it's the one matchup where the... Actually, does this player even play the... the the peak card? No, they don't even play the Nothing to Hide. I was going to say, Nothing to Hide is like the, in this matchup is the only reason why I, I might play it. Because again, you can see if your opponent has to be prepared or not. You should make the assumption. We, we discussed this a lot last week. But I think it's the deck that can rival Ruby Amethyst the most. But the matchup is still very difficult, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've, I've seen a lot of people hop on this, this deck and 
overall, I think it's fine. But it's it's more than fine, right? Because we can see that it's topped the uh, multiple tournaments at this stage. So if you if you're looking purely at the data, you should you can probably say that Ruby Amethyst is still at the top, and this deck is very close behind in terms of not in terms of how often it's seen, maybe, but in terms of how well it performs. What are your thoughts, Moen? Yeah, I think it's I think it's really close. I I don't see. The only thing is I don't see the matchup being good for Sapphire Steel if the Ruby Amethyst uh, deck is built uh, for that matchup. Mm. So I think a lot of Ruby Amethyst lists, Sapphire Steel will do very, very well against. Um, but as soon as they play, let's say, a few spellbooks, they have Teeth and Ambitions and Evasive, so they can um, kill the Evasive hate and then pressure with Evasives and books. Uh, then I think... Ruby Amethyst still has the edge in that matchup, but I think against a lot of decks, a lot of Ruby Amethyst decks uh, that don't have access to these tools, mm. uh, Sapphire State is actually really good, and in general, it is it is a very powerful deck. It's just, it, it's not sitting on the throne. Yeah, interesting. There's actually no Benja on this list, which I just realized, mm. uh, which you know, the list I've been playing have had that card. Um, for me, this is my favorite, honestly, this is my favorite deck of chapter two. Uh, the Ruby Amethyst list Nowadays feels like such a tempo deck rather than a control deck for me, especially in the mirror. Um, and it feels like there's kind of a bit of variance in the mirror for you know what kind of cards you draw and what order you draw them, especially for the early game. Because if you get too far ahead, it feels very very hard to come back. Um, it's not like the Ruby Amethyst mirrors of old. Uh, and if you let's be real, if you're playing Ruby Amethyst, you're gonna play a lot of mirrors. That's just how the game works right mm -hmm. now. So right now. Uh, this is probably my favorite deck to play, and I also I do think it's really strong. I think if, if Ruby Amethyst is going to beat you, I think their their best primary game plan against you is actually usually I haven't thought about it as being book based. Like the books are impactful, but I'm more thinking about them landing a lot of early evasives, um, like Mickey Mouse into Mickey Mouse, and just getting ahead early is just they can just kind of grind you out. And if you don't have that very very uh, timely removal uh, it can be rough i think it can be really rough because do you, do you think this deck has a better match spread than ruby amethyst though no <laughs> no yeah. i don't also that another question is uh what so okay i think ruby amethyst if you play books teeth and ambitions and evasives i think it's it's pretty good into sapphire steel but i guess asking cover mm -hmm. uh, would you say the arthur lefou aggro versions of ruby amethyst fare better or worse into sapphire steel better Really? Better? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Well, like this, this Ruby Amethyst version. I, I have to agree with Brendan again. I do think it's more of a tempo deck. I, I want to start calling this deck, this version of Ruby Amethyst, more of a tempo deck than the control deck myself. Um, but I've seen some of these decks just just include the LeFou Arthur package and not the other aggressive cards like Maleficent, Pinocchio. Because if you can even establish a bit of that loop, you can get a lot of lore and put on a lot of pressure. Um. Because the only answer to, to the Arthur is if they have the Smash, and most most of these decks are only running like two to three. The other answer, of course, is if they have the Tinkerbell and then they grab your sword. But for the most part, it's definitely a, a worthy inclusion because it's still difficult for them to deal with. Like I, this is the deck that I practiced the most against leading up to uh, the Vienna tournament, playing even the aggro deck. And like I said, I still found like even if they got like used a bit of their removal, it's close, but how fast Ruby Amethyst can go. Like, the interesting thing about the Temple Ruby Amethyst list now is uh, how fast it can go even without having all of that, those aggro pieces, right? If you just do, like, two evasive mini mouse, it's very hard for the opponent to, to beat that realistically, right? Like, I've had that start against Sapphire Steel, and it's like, well, like, unless they have that Cruella or that Jafar down on turn two, but again, if you then if you have the Teeth and Ambitions, then that card's just, just gone. So, like... 
yeah, ov overall, I think it's still very hard for them to to yeah. deal with the, the matchup. If, if they're against a good Ruby Amethyst player, then uh, you know the Ruby Amethyst player I think still has a bit of an advantage, right? But it's just about how much how much you practice against the deck. I also want want to say like how much nuance there is just between these two color combinations, even in just deck building. It's uh, do you want to build? Uh, the Sapphire Steel deck wants to be beat the slow Ruby Amethyst. Okay. Yes. Well, in deck building, you need to include Benjas, so you're mm -hmm. prepared for the books. You, you need to play nothing to hide, so maybe you can mm -hmm. play around the be prepared a little better. But then on the other side, against the Ruby Amethyst aggro versions, yeah, you, you're yeah. much better the more the more copies of Smash you play. Mm -hmm. um, and the Ruby Amethyst version is, is also okay. I, I guess you could go the route of I I just teeth and ambitions your evasive hate and I pressure with evasive some books but you can also go the route of okay maybe you just want to be pressuring them with arthas and uh, rely on them not playing the highest amount of uh, of copies of smash interesting dynamics between between those decks yeah i mean i talked to alphos a lot about it because this is the deck that he brought to the event and he had a lot of practice on sapphire steel if your opponent is smashing either your mini mouse or your arthur on turn three as a sapphire steel player that's actually not really what they want to be doing like sure it gets rid of the card but they'd much rather be doing their freeze quill and getting that extra extra ink so like if you're using a card especially if they only run two to three smash right if you play an arthur or play a mini mouse and they smash it like it kind of feels bad but it's honestly not the worst because that's just one of their removal tools like one of their really good removal tools used up because besides that smash, they have no other way to easily deal the three damage without using two other cards combined. Yep. So Tinker Bell yeah, grab your swords. Yeah, the, um, exactly. Yeah. The, it's just you took words out of my mouth, Morgan, but it extends past deck building and also extends to Mulligan. Like let's not even consider that, you know, people like Kyle are playing a very a very different version of Ruby <laughs> Amethyst that it that is yeah. aggressive. But even against the the standard Ruby Amethyst list. You're faced with two vastly different game plans that you have to respond to. Do you need to be prepared to go late? Do you need to be setting up your inkbound, like do your unfair thing, which is the inkbound quill, dump your old hand, whole new world early and get massive card advantage? Or do you need to be prepared from, for a super aggressive start, which is like double mini mouse? And they're, va mm -hmm. they're vastly different. And ding, 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 you lose to both. So it's like you have to be, you have to be perfectly prepared for whichever one is going to be implemented against you and you seem to be the deck that is responding. That's what's so hard is I feel like when I lose to Ruby Amethyst with this list, it's because they get an aggressive start on me that I can't really stop. Um, but at the same the time, list, uh, it's... It's so flexible, right? We talk yeah. about this so much. The Ruby Amethyst list is so flexible. That there's so many different types of cards you can include. If players want to play the slower version, they can. If they want to play... I, I do agree that I think having some pace in the deck is good. Uh, I wouldn't say that you should auto-include the Arthur LeFou package into the list. Honestly, I think if you like that style of play, it's very good. But there are other cards you can play as well. It's just it's just crazy to me that even if you don't put in that little bit more of aggression, you still have just like a crazy start, which could be your turn one and then turn two snake and then turn three mini and then turn two another mini. Like without trying to be overly aggressive, the deck can still be quite aggressive, which is uh, really, really powerful, honestly. Yeah. You ever seen that meme where it's like the astronauts and the one's got like the gun to the back of the head and it's like always has been like that's yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. I feel about Ruby Amethyst and the dynamic aggressive game plan that it can pivot and go super because like that's how the deck has always been. Just nobody acknowledged it in set one. It's just ridiculous. Like that's why evasives are so the whole entire meta is warped around evasives, whether you like to admit it or not. Actually, the entire game since its inception has been um, has been warped around these evasive characters, these cheap threats that can quest for two. Um, and just present this this thing on board that you need answers to. You literally need answers to it, or it just it 
race is way too fast. Um, we're gonna talk. About, we're gonna try to talk about a few spoilers today, <laughs> um, and of course ours as well. But they, I did see that they printed. I don't even think we'd get to this. Did it print a three cost inkable three two evasive quest for one? Kind of like a better mm-hmm. jetsam uh, that would definitely help deal with some of these mini mouses. It's, we, it, we already have that, right? I mean, that's just fidget, no? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's just fidget. Yeah. yeah, so just another fidget. Just like this critical mass of these characters that can deal with evasive. So I, I wonder if the Ruby Amethyst list will not be so... Like the, the mini mouse evasive game plan will ever be not so critical to its its matchup or if, eva- but, or if evasives are just too powerful in this game. No, it depends because as long as all the... Um, evasive hate characters still die to uh, teeth and ambitions. Mm-hmm. Then you just I go agree. Evasive plus teeth and have fun countering that. I think I think when it changes is when we get counter evasive cards that have the three health because the three health spot is mm-hmm. vastly different than the the two health spot. Uh, it's why we've seen in the mirror matches how good like uh, Pascal Crab or even Minnie Mouse Crab can be if you have a one three and suddenly it becomes a three three. You hit into Minnie, but then then your mini is now vulnerable to teeth and ambition and stuff like that. But I do think overall, if we ever get a decent, a decently started and decently costed anti-evasive card that has the three health, then like if you if you put a card like that into the meta right now, it would really disrupt the the, the Ruby Amethyst player more than these like three two cards. Mm-hmm. All right. Once again, all the deck lists in the description below. Uh, with that, let's head into our spilled ink section, our listener question section. If you want to get your question read out in next week's podcast, or just a comment on YouTube. We'd have to skip. Uh, last week, because we had Savijan, so we've got two weeks to catch up on, but we've got some good content here. Uh, Kyle, I'll pass it over to you. Uh, yeah, let me pull it up. All right, let's go. So starting off with Purple Shadow. I'd like to see an official youth division similar to Pokemon and Magic had early on. Builds a foundation of loyalty that I believe MTG and Pokemon are still reaping. We're expanding our Pokemon youth team to include Lorcana and hope OP supports divisions. Youth division. Explain this to me, Brandon. It's a term I'm <laughs> unfamiliar with. Uh, it hasn't existed in any game that I played. So, like you said, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon. Those are not card games that I have a lot of experience with. But I'm assuming it's uh well, it's it's for it's a youth division. So there's surely an age gap in which or an age ceiling in which you can no longer compete. Um, I could see it working for for Larkana because Larkana is centered like it, their target audience is to an extent definitely uh, younger people um, in card games. I don't know card games mechanic. I feel like card games, the card game genre is not really arch- is not really marketed towards younger people. Um, it does seem to be a bit of a older person's game, and not that much older. I mean, there's there's you know seventeen, eighteen year old prodigies. We don't really see someone usually around like that ten, twelve, thirteen uh, year old range that's going and crushing like world championships. If they do, they're an extreme outlier. So I can see it as a as a good thing uh, to cultivate a sort of younger generation of players and give them a place to compete in that's a bit more fair than the than the open tournaments because, yeah, I mean, card games do seem to be dominated by people that are in their sort of later 20s to early 30s, I would say, at this range. It doesn't account for everybody that's doing well in the game, but it does seem to be the, uh, the sort of example, like the standard. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right, next we have Gordon Kane. In the vocabulary of most gamers, simple. I don't get to mess with your ability to play the game on your turn. Yeah, this is something I think we discussed last week, or if we didn't, I was at least discussing with uh, the one of the guys, the guy that actually uh, owns my, my LGS. And he was saying, yeah, a lot of people I've talked to, the reason why they don't want to get into Lorcana is because like there's no instance, they can't do anything on your opponent's, on your opponent's turn. And he's like, that's the whole point of the game is why Lorcana is so good, in my opinion. And I, I have to agree. Mm-hmm. Um, simplicity we do, yeah i think i think we yeah different. we did we did yeah we discussed this last week um 
Yeah, next question from Wonk Daddy. My question this week is tied to this prior thread. Do you think a card like Totsies? I can explain Thoughtseize what that would... is. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so Thoughtsies is a magic card. Uh, it's basically one one cost, one resource to look at your opponent's mm -hmm. hand and take like a non-land card. I don't know if that's the exact wording, but basically. So it'd be kind of like Peak, uh, but it mm -hmm. wouldn't draw a card and you would take... Well, there's no non-resource non card, right? card. Yeah, character card would probably be a bit limited. Probably just be like, take a card in Lorcana, to be honest. But add a card from their hand to your hand, or discard no, no, a card? No, 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 discard. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it says, what design would even make sense to make it balanced? I think for it to remain a cheap cost, it would need to be uninkable on either a one or two drop card. It would allow you to see your opponent's hand and select any one card to be discarded, and then your opponent would gain two lore. Whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Okay, I did not see that part. Uh, I would not make an em emerald in color just due to the inherent synergies, and I think it would be too good to have access without needing to limit the other options for emerald to use such a card like this. Personally, I think it is a neat sapphire card. Um, I mean, the most comparable thing we have to that at the moment is probably... I can't even think of the card. Sudden Chill, isn't it? It's like that's the two-cost single song that you sing it, and then it discards a card from your opponent's hand. Yep. Um, you want a hot take? Yeah, one cost uninkable, it. it would be balanced. I think okay. uninkable. I think a lot of people would see that and they'd be like, it just you know, even even in this question here, like, oh, we should give the opponent two lore, maybe make it cost two. But I think one mm -hmm. like I think one cost uninkable, which might sound like your opponent discards a card, that's it. Yeah. Your well, opponent discards You a card. see and then you pick the discard, I think that would actually be balanced. Oh, yeah, you but choose the card. But hmm. it's, I think it at in at the current state of the game it would be balanced, but it's I think that's mostly because decks don't rely on uh, big synergies or they don't rely on p on key cards to to do specific things together it's just like this giant tempo resource battle mm -hmm. where uh, just discarding one card even if you get to choose it isn't that crazy so i think it being unlinkable would be uh would probably be balanced enough but if you get to a, to a stage like in most other card games i think just one resource choose it this card for your from your opponent to discard would have a much bigger impact than, than it has in, in Lokana right now. I wouldn't say necessary. I, I'd kind of agree with that, but an advantage would be if, like, you know, get rid, of, get rid of the key card that they have to ink or get rid of the key card that they want to play, but it would depend on what deck you're facing. I think I do agree that overall it doesn't matter as much, but if we're in a meta that there are more combo-based decks or, like, more decks that really synergize, like, you need all these cards to work together, then it would be good. But yeah, overall, I, I do agree that it probably wouldn't be crazily impactful but i i i like the balancing idea brandon one cost one inkable yeah i think it's pretty cool we, we we'd be we'd be testing the line a bit with that design um for sure but i do think that the value exchange there is i mean it's really it's fundamentally very underrated you know mm -hmm. um, yeah but you, it's so it's just like if but if you get to this card like uh, be prepared that's insane yeah, if yeah. You, maybe against the sapphire deck you get to this card like they, they they jammed all the cards on items because they were like, oh, I have Flavorsham or Crab to to get back into to have more yeah, resources. a whole new world, and then their hand is like they literally can't refill. Yeah, there, yeah. There's some instances where it can be for right. sure. Sometimes it would be really really powerful, but I do think that when deck building, it wouldn't mm -hmm. be an auto include. Which sure. I I do I think a lot of people that would hear that card and hear about hear that card design that template would think that this would be the most broken card ever printed in Lorcana. I actually don't think it would be. All right, sure. uh, next comment is from KB2187. With set two meta almost done, what decks would you all deem as tier one, two, three, etc.? Is it too much to call Ruby Amethyst tier zero in set two? Uh, I don't think I'd call it tier zero. I would put it at the 
top, but I wouldn't put it at like the top, top, top. I'd put it at tier one. I'd probably put Sapphire Steel at uh, tier one as well. Uh, I'll leave it at that and allow you guys to put Steel Amber. Put Steel Amber's up there. I mean, that's yeah another top yeah, tier guy. Flutes. No, Steel Amber is not in the same tier as Ruby Amethyst. Yeah, I do think I do actually think Ruby Amethyst is tier zero. Um, I don't think okay. the Ruby Amethyst like absolutely destroys everything, but you really can't you can't argue with some of the data that we've gotten from these tournaments. Like seven out of eight, top eight, eleven out mm. of sixteen. Like it is regardless if it wins every single tournament the deck is obviously ultra consistent like mm -hmm. it, it's almost unprecedented seeing how many how many what percentage of top eights it usually takes up i'm not surprised when you know, like at thea's last tournament when we do see something it's not ruby amethyst win it's, it's not like a you know it's not crazy to me but it does have ridiculous top eight numbers like the deck is very 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 good and nothing else even comes close to the top eight representation and conversion that ruby amethyst does so i would put it in tier zero and i agree with you on tier one except i'd probably put amber steel in there as well mm -hmm. that's fair yeah Why? for me uh ruby amethyst would be best deck i don't know if it doesn't matter if it has its own tier or not really because it doesn't need to have its own tier because there is decks that beat it, but in trying to beat it, all your deck often gets worse against the rest, and because Sapphire Steel can't really do it on its own. But okay, uh, Sapphire Steel is then second best deck, and I think everything else is quite a bit below that, so I think all the other decks are kind of mid. Nah, Amber Steel is up there, I think. I think those no, are the top not, I don't think it's close to those two decks. I think, like, after that, Amber Steel, um, Amethyst Steel, uh, the Discard deck, the... Mufasa decks, they're all kind of mid. Mm. Sure. I would filter through, like, <laughs> what decks would I play at a tournament? And I probably would never play Amber Steel in this metagame. Yeah, me neither. But, you know, because some uh, when, when I was playing in these tournaments, a lot of people wanted me to be on, on, on Flute Amber Steel, or were surprised I wasn't. But in all these discussions, I was always just saying that the best versions of Amber Steel will have Flutes. But that doesn't mean that Ember Steel is, is, is good enough uh, in comparison to the actual best decks in the game. Unfortunately, I did, I did try and test and hoped it I was. Think, but I do I think... think yeah, I, I think an Ember Steel loot deck actually came second at the event I was at. It came second and there was a lot of Ruby Amethysts there. So the deck can beat Ruby Amethyst. But again, this is the whole point of what we're saying is that decks can beat Ruby Amethyst. But if you wanted to rate decks in terms of just consistency, then I would put Ruby Amethyst in its own tier. Because in terms of consistency and representation across the board, it has performed yeah, the best. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, feel, I don't feel like Ruby Amethyst is overpowered. Um, I know I say it to be hyperbolic sometimes, but if I didn't play Lakana and I just looked at top 8 uh, data, it looks pretty OP. <laughs> like, it looks, hmm. it looks overpowered. It's got a ridiculous conversion rate. All right, next comments from Christian Young. I've heard your opinion of aggro decks being terrible feeling in Lorcana a few times, and I'm curious to hear what you think an interesting and healthy aggro deck in a game like Lorcana could look like. Uh, I guess, I mean, this is probably more um, tailored towards you, Brendan, but um, in, in my opinion, I'll, I'll say that, like, I don't know. I said this to Brendan before the pod. I didn't necessarily, like, really enjoy playing an aggro deck, especially two tournaments in a row. I think it was the it was a fair call to make and it worked pretty well, but uh, I, I do want to have a few more decisions to make. Yes, I did have some important decisions that I came into like the more important games, but it's an interesting question to say what an interesting and healthy aggro deck 
would mm-hmm. look like because at the end of a, at the end of the day an aggro deck is kind of just doing what an aggro well, I was, deck I was going to ask well that's the key question is how do you what yeah. is it, what is an aggro deck like how do you define an aggro deck if you define an yeah. aggro deck by a deck that doesn't care what the what the opposing player is doing and all they do is turn the thing sideways um, basically indiscriminate of what goes on, on the board then i think an aggro deck shouldn't exist i think that those decks suck but if an aggro deck is a deck that has a lower curve than other decks um and tries to play you know, cheaper threats, you know, maybe stops inking after a certain turn. That's fine for me. I just, I don't like that there is an entire archetype in Larkana that is literally just bored. I mean, your deck, your deck is a little bit different color because you do have the bounce package, but especially in set one, there was some, in my opinion, some pretty toxic aggro decks where they were literally, they just played out threats and turned them sideways. And that was it. Like well, nothing that's basically what, what at the end of the day, that's basically what my deck does as well. Like the only thing is there's there's only two there's literally only two cards in the game that you will ever want to interact with your opponent's cards with, and that's the snake rarity, but honestly, you still want to be turning that right most of the time. And then Fox just to kill off one of their stuff, right? Because there's even times when I, I didn't even hit anything with their fox. I just used it for, for the bounce potential. But overall, that's that's what the deck is doing. But that that version of like you said, if they're lower to the ground, they're playing out um uh, kind of uh, aggressive threats. Like, if that's not an aggro deck, then yeah. what is? It's just a slower aggro deck, right? I want, and, yeah. I want to emphasize that it's also like it's a. This is a very personal biased opinion. I think from a game design standpoint, uh, they should exist and they are relatively healthy. I think that the team behind Lorcana uh, probably is very very happy with the current state of aggro. There's an extremely accessible way to play the game, even at a competitive level. Uh, I kind of don't like that. <laughs> you know, I don't like playing against that. It feels like shit when I put, you know, a lot of time into playing the game or you're building decks and and then you just kind of get run over by something like that. But that that's card games. So um it's a reality I live with. So it's like the the if you want my personal bias opinion, which I wouldn't even implement if I was in charge. I would not implement if I was in charge. It's like I just kind of wish those decks didn't exist because they just kind of they they irritate me as a player. I think in general the existence of aggro decks is very important for, for a game because uh, the control I don't know there's there's so many different dynamics it's no one would I, I don't I, I don't I think a lot of people wouldn't enjoy playing control mirrors or they or just mid-range mirrors I think like having these different dyman- dynamics and matchups is very important plus it means uh, you don't have the danger of the deck with the most inevitable win con just always being the best deck because at least you can try to be aggressive against it. I think all of all of these dynamics are very important, and aggro decks are important for for basically any card game to exist. The the problem that arises in Lorcana for me is, while in other games maybe we'd have the option of, um, either I attack their their hero, their leader, their whatever it's called, or I try to get more of a presence on the board, mm-hmm. and those are important decisions. But in, um, if you if you think about Lorcana in the same way, attacking their leader is kind of questing. Mm-hmm. And there's no target when questing. And with these decks, it, you ha- questing is so often better than uh, attacking into their character because it means they have to actually uh, attack into your character anyways. They can't really be questing. And you just waste them. And ev- every time you can quest, or almost every time you can quest, you do quest. That... That just makes it feels like uh, feel like you're not actually. Sometimes it doesn't feel like you're playing the game. You're just yeah, uh, which playing your curve and turning everything sideways. And that, yeah. that's that's the, that's the problematic part. But the problem is, I'm not really sure how in 
in, in Lorcana, we could have an aggro deck that doesn't act like this. Yeah. We would need, I mean, yeah. need a two drop that says things can't quest, which would probably just be too broken overall. But you need something that has effectively taunt or something like that, like if in Hearthstone. Um, so mm -hmm. they can't progress their win condition, they have to deal with a threat first. But that card is reckless, right? It's reckless in Lorcana. Something like that, but a little bit. No, it's like enforcing reckless on your opponent's cards. Yeah, yeah, you can. Oh, but, yeah, 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 that, that is a that, thing, right? Yeah, but it's, it's very expensive. Right? Most cards are very cheap. Very I'm yeah, so or, when it's expensive, it basically just doesn't counter aggro. That's the problem. It's like there's a bit of a non-bow there, where it's like I need a card that mm -hmm. does that, but I need to come down early because if it's coming or down maybe, late, it's not. As well, the, the, an the answer is probably. Uh, I guess we can kind of get into it. No. I'm not going to say one of the cards that we that we're about to reveal is the answer to this problem. But uh, like a card that was really problematic against me that wasn't just removal was a card like uh, Pinocchio that exerts that exerts your cards right. So like when the problem is that especially in the deck that I'm playing that you're doing, you're turning your card and then you're writing it up and you're just turning your card again with this like Lefou combo. As soon as you can force your opponent to exert their card and then you can use something to attack, then that really interrupts their their game plan. So I do think like cards like Pinocchio uh, are really good to stop aggro in its steps. Besides just using these like key removal cards but um yeah. Yeah. game design wise i think that that's one perfect way to make um aggro feel more interesting because you don't it's it's not like dragonfire makes your aggro decisions more interesting you're still always questing but let's mm -hmm. say there's there would be a lot of cards in the meta that can exert your cards but not kill them that mm -hmm. would mean okay if you have established a little bit of a bot presence instead or if that's the decision you want to be making maybe the reward for that is if they can only exert it but not attack into your character now you're playing around this this type of removal another way so i think that's one game design wise way to to make aggro a bit more interesting the other way would be um let's say a card that can quest for more if you have more characters or, or let's say the less characters your opponent has on the board like something that mm actually makes it a meaningful decision mm -hmm. whether you want to be attacking your opponent's characters or questing for aggressive decks. Yeah. And that's there's a few ways to do it, but it's it's not it's not very easy, I would say. I think uh Shere Khan's gonna be a really interesting card uh coming into set three, especially if we're gonna get into that more calm based but calm combat yeah. based meta because you could look at a Shere Khan deck and like I don't think I would call a Shere Khan deck aggro because essentially they're doing very different things. Like you're not gaining two lore every time you you attack and kill something with Shere Khan, right? You're only getting the one. Whereas a lot of these aggro cards, you want to be questing for however much is on the card, whether that be two, three. Um, but I think uh, a version of aggro that we could see in set three that, again, isn't really aggro, but might be a closer version to it, a little bit slower, would be maybe something like Shere Khan, where you focus on... Your decisions are more important, um, but still not as important because the Shere Khan just gives you the lore. You're not literally deciding, do I have to attack or do I have to quest, you know? To be fair, there are a lot of cards that exist, actually. Um, like you mentioned, uh, John Silver, like Mother mm -hmm. Gothel. There's also Aladdin, big Aladdin. Um, like, that's mm -hmm. a very anti-aggro effect. Uh, there is some tension when playing an aggro deck against a control deck. Like, do you overcommit to the turn 7 be prepared? Mm -hmm. But I think in the current state of Lorcana, like, you're already winning. <laughs> like, get to the turn seven, be prepared. I just feel like all the threats that make aggro potentially have to have an interactive game uh, are too heavily costed right now. And so, so most of the time, aggro decks are the dynamic they're dealing with is that anytime you would consider not just questing, it's 
most of that it's pretty much you should just you, sh- you should just quest yeah i mean i've done that in a tournament where i'm like okay do i really want to and i'm like what i'm like why am i even thinking about this i just turn a card that, that, ha- that happens so much honestly yeah. and none of this is a discussion about aggro being too strong it's just how how aggro isn't very interesting right now how could we make it more interesting and i think it's just increasing the efficiency and the amount of cards that make your decisions whether to quest or not more interesting I think it's the type of deck that, like, Brendan summed up perfectly. If you lose to an aggro deck, it sucks. I've, I've been against against aggro as an aggro player, and it still sucks just as much. It's subjective. You know, some people, when I first started playing card games, um, losing to control decks was like, it was just, I, it really sucked. And I could not fathom why someone would play a deck like that. <laughs> Funny how we come full circle. <laughs> but I was just like, this is so miserable. This is so one-sided. Like, this sucks. Um, so I think it's very subjective. You know, losing an aggro deck feels bad. Uh, but for me, what it, and like I said, I think for all of us, is like the, most of these opinions are very personal. Like if we were the game designers of Lorcana, we might not even completely implement them. But I do think that we aggro... Just, we destroy the game realistically if we <laughs> yeah. game designers. Ruby yeah. Amethyst mirrors for all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but aggro right now, it's yeah, like, I think Moyen actually expanded on it perfectly where it is just only makes one this one meaningful decision consistently throughout the entire game and there's almost no context changes and that that sucks i mean that's boring to be honest and i i get the same the same sentiment that you do where it feels like sometimes most of the time when you play against an aggro deck it feels like your opponent wasn't even playing the game which is fine i think that should exist like i said there's an accessibility standpoint there that you can or an argument you can make but uh yeah, it's just it's weird how there there's a dynamic, there's like gameplay between all the other archetypes and decks, and then the then with some of the other ones, there's just not right now. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, moving on to the next comment, we have it from uh, Shatting. I'd assume they will go the promo route. You not only have Lorcana players, but mad Disney collectors to support the market, potentially leading to lucrative prizes that cost nothing to produce. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. the same discussion we've been having for the past two weeks. Yeah. If you're gonna go the pro, I just want to know the answer to this question at this stage. Honestly, I really just want to know. I've come around um, a bit, to be honest. That's why I included yeah. these. It's like I still think that if Ravensburger comes out and they put up zero cash and just promos, like that's a weak move. In a, in a highly competitive TCG market where there is many options of games to play and there's only going to be more in the short, in the, in the near future. But I'll, I'll concede a bit that I was, I maybe didn't appreciate how strong the Disney collector scene is and how much, how profitable it could make some of these promos. So I'll walk it back a bit. I still don't like promo based pricing. I still think that it's inherently Ponzi-nomic, that it's not actually a consistent, uh, way to provide value to players, but I do think that in Lorcana, at least for a while, in the beginning, it would be very, very lucrative, and it would support competitive play. It would support competitive play. Sure. All right. Next comment is from Alphos. Adding on to what Brendan said, I've never found buyers for like 3k worth of Digimon promos. As soon as One Piece was announced as Bandai's new focus, it crashed hard. Yeah, that's how Bandai works, by the way. <laughs> Just <laughs> Bandai cycles their card games. Uh, it's not a fact, but it's a, it's an opinion that I hold strongly. So, yeah. By the way, Moyen, uh, just want to let you know I was looking. I saw a promo that I sold uh, for ten thousand uh, dollars. This was an early Fab promo. Um, someone posted on Twitter for thirty eight thousand yesterday. So that made me feel pretty good. That made me feel good. It technically didn't sell, so it doesn't count yet. Uh, but. Yeah, and there was another promo that's the same promo actually, but the the thirty whatever thousand dollar one is a gold foil. The other one is just a extended art. 
I sold mine. I sold three of them, actually four of them, because I won five of them uh, for two thousand. It is now going consistently for six thousand. So, you know, sometimes I'm wrong. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so poor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next comes from. Uh, Per platypus, mm-hmm. uh, saying Larkana is simple is like saying chess is simple. Yes, it's easy to grasp the rules, but winning versus an opponent is totally different. The books on chess theory and openings are immensely large when compared to the rule book of chess. Of course, I'm not directly comparing the games, but the point is saying it's simple due to the rules being easy to grasp, I feel is... Uh, easy to refute. It's just, yeah, easy to refute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we talked great... about this on last podcast with like depth to complexity mm-hmm. a lot, I think. I think it's a great yeah. take and a great analogy, to be honest. Um, yeah, just as a good yep. example. Uh, this comes from Empowered MGR. Also, shout out to for all the tips here. Second ever turning and I ended up in the top 16 in the Merlin Strikes back as uh, Red Purple Control. 6 2 day one, zero, 01 day two, five on the draw, three on the play uh, day one, on the play day two, and got uh, outed by Purple Steel. Great games. Man, this is actually just this is a very a, a side note right now, but. During my seven rounds with Swiss, like this is when you know you have it bad. I ho- I high rolled once as the aggro player out of seven games, and I still got to where I got this. So I was pretty I was pretty proud of that. They did enforce the rule, which was really good since I was literally number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on how higher seeded you are, you just decide if you go first for the rest of the games in the top sixteen. It's not a high roll anymore. So uh, that made me feel really good when everyone was shaking hands and I, I, I ding and I was just like, as the aggro player, I know I'm going to be going first. It matters. After losing all of those high rolls. It matters. Yeah, yeah. I do want to add a quick little story and anecdote. Mm-hmm. Um, Flesh and Blood, Pro Tour number two in Lille, France. Uh, for Flesh and Blood's first aggro-dominated metagame. Uh, again, not a lot of decisions being made by the decks. Way more than Morcana, but not a lot of decisions being made by the decks. My my critique of the format was that I felt like I was spectating my own games because you know it's just playing out the obvious lines. Um, I played 14 rounds of Swiss. I lost 13 die rolls, and it was a yeah. very die roll format. Uh, and uh, I, honestly, bro, I'm pissed because if I lost yeah. 14, I would have infinite more complaint equity than I do losing. You know, I won one. <laughs> so I, when I won one of them, I was like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It, it feels bad. It, it it feels bad. But yeah, I talked to a lot of people there at the event of like uh, how they can overcome this, which is something that we've talked about as well. Um, be interesting to see like if they ever did consider doing it. Would it have to be before official OP stuff launches, or could they implement it further down uh, the line? I think that's a, an interesting thing to implement. Notice. What is it exactly? Like like ch- changing the reason or like implementing something that makes players not always want to go for. It. Oh, you actually, I. Mean? I- I have um, a very nerdy, highly competitive way to do it that <laughs> okay. I would I would enjoy a lot, but I I I don't actually think maybe we shouldn't have it for the game. Tell and us. it's um, okay. Maybe you can have the coin flip, and then the player that wins it says, "Okay, um, he makes a bid where he's like, okay, um, so I would go second if you give me five floor. and then the other guy either gets to agree or he gets to say, "Okay, no." Um, Maybe you could. That, that, uh, that's, a, that's a hypothetical a number, right? We're not just saying five lore. Right? No, 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 he, he's, he, he's bidding, so he's choosing. Oh, he's there. bidding. Oh, he will so, say. Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. So, so you get to choose the number, then you 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 get to like um, auction with your opponent for us how much we how much. I don't, I don't, don't like it. I don't like it. No, I don't like it. I think it. I I personally would love it, but I don't think the game should have it. Yeah. No, Moin, because because if you're against like a highly competitive player, you'd probably like 
you'd probably spend the first 10 minutes of the round doing <laughs> no, the not allowed like... to. not allowed to. You can't judge if they take 10 minutes on the first bit. <laughs> Moin just, <laughs> just wants to scam his opponent. Moin's been playing a lot of board games, you can tell. What is that board game you're telling me you really like that does that? It was Terra Mystica that does it. Terra Mystica. Like, it has different factions and you... You, so there's different factions in the pool and you choose with your starting victory point on what faction you actually do get to play. And it's like a highly, I don't know, you get to theorize so much about the actual values. And I, going first or second, I guess depending on the matchup can also uh, have different values. I think I think it's a very fun way to do it. Uh, yeah, it's, but it's interesting, but there's no way to do it. Yeah, there's yeah. no way. You go to your no. local game store, some... <laughs> you know, some new player comes up is like he's now is in a bidding war for lore with Moyen. <laughs> oh, great! Oh, yourself, you're, you're like uh, you're Ember Sapphire. Okay, then I bid four victor four lore points. Yeah, you, <laughs> your starter deck. I'll give you nineteen lore if you let me go first. <laughs> oh man! All right. Uh, yeah. So this guy's basically just saying like, like he played really well. He ran into three discard, two steel song, one uh, blue steel, and one. Uh, red purple control day one was extremely painful every game was a nail biter i could tell the moment i made mistakes that led to my two losses i know we're not for them but running four maleficent dragons brought me back from the brink in two separate discard games and one steel song where i was able to nuke the tremaine uh, i i the one th thing i want to talk about with the maleficent dragons i do think it's better in very specific matchups but the reason why we don't run it is because in our most of our matchup spread, it's just not good. Mm. It would be good in like one or two matchups. Actually, I, I do run four of them. Though. Actually, um, okay. I, 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 yeah, I just pay. I just pay six for it. Um, it's called Lady Tremaine. Oh. Yeah, okay. No, but actually, <laughs> he, um, in the comment, he's also pointing out how that Tremaine really wasn't that good because everyone's playing around it, and a lot of mm. decks are capable of playing around. And I, I agree on that. It's just, I guess, I would play low copies of Lady Tremaine and then no copies of of Dragon yeah, But yeah. I'm still happy that uh, that the dragon worked out for you, right? Yeah, that's great. Uh, overall, very happy with the results as a new TCG player, and thanks for the podcast being so helpful in many ways. Thank you for listening to us and uh, trying out the deck. That's awesome. Uh, next one's from Darth Vader. Uh, thanks for having such a great competitive lore kind of podcast. One question I have for you guys, which is, uh, why does Simba Future King not see more play? I play a lot of Amethyst Steel, and it seems like such a great one-drop to bounce back with Malamim or Arthur. But it's great turn one play and it can be decent later in the game. This is the one that I believe um, when you play drop. it. So it's a, it's a one two, you play it and you may draw a card and discard one. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think the main reason it's not seeing play is because people prefer to have three HP mm -hmm. over the draw effect, yes. which I think I can agree on. But I think the one two is probably a bit underrated. I think it's a, it's an okay card. It's a it's a, like a scaling one drop. And I, it doesn't get stronger once you play it. It's like it's a bit worse than a one three on one maybe, but at least uh, it's a better card as the game goes on in comparison to just the one three. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think in general it's just people don't want they want to have a threat that doesn't just immediately die to grab your swords. Uh, that's probably the main reason. Mm -hmm. uh, this last comment is from the same player who did well with the red purple deck. I'm not a TCG business analyst, but I've always been curious why official clients haven't done a Netflix-style subscription where you can pay monthly to sustain the company and digitally you have all the cards. Feel free to tear to tear it up. I'd be curious why it would or wouldn't work. There's a little note here. Uh, it says, Brendan. Brendan, no, don't read. Because uh, I was writing a note for myself. <laughs> um, so I actually don't think it's a terrible idea. I'm I'm sure there's reasons yeah. for it. But what one thing I do want to say, 
is I was I was uh, doing some research on a card game called Artifact that came and went. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. if any of you guys played it. I'm assuming Moyen. I'm aware of it. Moyen probably yeah. dug his little TCG fiend fingers at it. I haven't played it. What? I was only Hearthstone at the <laughs> time. Only Hearthstone. Okay, so it came and went, and uh, a lot of people had uh, issues with the monetization system. One thing about the game is, uh, yeah, it had a lot of other issues as well uh, in terms of how it launched and stuff, but the monetization of that game was actually cheaper than some other games, but part of it is that it was very it was monetized very upfront like it was very clear how much you were paying for the cards um and how much the decks cost because it was on the steam marketplace you know to let it buy them for cash and you know now we're in the age of marvel snap where your cards are 75 to 100 dollars a piece and they come mm-hmm. out weekly and one thing i think that these companies have learned about monetization is that it's uh, it's less about how much it actually costs and more, and there's a huge factor of actually just obfuscating it from from your customer base and making it confusing. Because Marvel Snap is very confusing for how much cards cost. You have multiple different resources; they transfer into each other. You're not sure the exchange rates are not clear, uh, etc. It's just funny that uh, Artifact got so much flack for being overly expensive so transparent but, as well about yeah. it though yeah, yeah. but mm. i'll just say i'm not saying that's why i died but the transparency really 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 didn't help um and i think that that the monetization of modern digital card games is based in a lot of that there's other reasons for why they do this multi-currency things the main one being is it's very confusing to you as a customer and you spend more money than you should and money becomes not real money as soon as it's gold or credits or something but also um i believe in some countries or regions uh like you opening booster packs is like illegal it's like gambling so if you make it not purchasable by uh by money and it's by some sort of other currency that these players have acquired even if they bought it with money it gets around that law um but yeah i do think that the the monthly getting back to the original point and my whole point is like monthly monetization would be very upfront people would be paying a recurring cost they would you know they'd be feeling the cost of every month i do think it's not a, a bad idea because I do think that the current monetization of these card games is egregious and terrible, and they're completely unsustainable, and there's no way we can play multiple uh, card games, let alone even one. So I don't hate it at all. If it's profitable, I would actually be 100% for it. I'm 100% for yep. actually paying for things that you that you use. I think it's totally fair. Um, it's much yep. more fair than paying 175 for a card. Personally, I, I would love that. I don't know if I would love it, but I think I, think, I, think I would like that system. Um, more than any systems we see in card games. It's just um, so honest in telling mm-hmm. you, okay, you're paying this much money, you're getting exactly this out of it, and maybe it's just, okay, you pay monthly just to have you to play the game, but you have all the cards. And it's... I, I In a lot of these models, I think you would spend less money than you would in any of these card games where we just like, oh, I don't know, there's a bundle, I buy that, and... <laughs> Oh, I can pre-order the next expansion, 50 packs, I buy that. And then I think it, we could end up spending less in total for, for the game, but a lot of people would still feel like they're spending more Yeah. because they know they have to pay to play or so, something like that. It's it's like, I don't know. Yeah, you want to hear... Right now, the card game monetizations are developing in a direction where it's like... Um, to make they want to make you feel good about what you're spending yes. or e- even worse they want to uh make you feel powerful spend that money but not be totally aware of it yeah like of course you know you like technically you know but you don't you don't really know how much you 
I don't uh, I don't I don't know of my how much I've spent on over uh, on Hearthstone in a year. Mm-hmm. It's like I have a, I, don't know. I have like a super cynical take about why some of these card games are getting away with what they're getting away with in terms of monetization. Um, and I think that regardless of what people will yell and scream about on Reddit or Twitter, I think that the it's possible that the data actually backs up that people like paying for power. And that pay to win is actually a motivating aspect to spend more money. And people, it, it's not enough of a a negative aspect to the game that will actually push people away. And the, you know, basically these systems. We all, my, the biggest uh, example I have of this is Marvel Snap. Is that we always talk about the monetization system, like it, there is something wrong with it, and that they need to fix it to get it in a better state. But my current theory now is that the system is actually optimal. And they're actually just further optimizing it to extract more money out of us. It's like we as the community are like, oh, this is obviously a mistake. They'll fix it. You know, like this is clearly not how it's supposed to be. And I'm wondering if like the pay to win, pay to play, pay for power aspect is like the data just backs it up. Like human beings and their lizard brains just like love that shit. Uh, So yeah, like I love the word use for this system. It might just be too honest. It might be too honest. And I think (laughs) it would make, it might make, it might make less money. I would love it though, personally. Mm Mm-hmm. I but actually, I, I I say I would like it, but maybe even maybe even I would like subconsciously uh, <laughs> yeah. n- don't don't like still feel bad about it, even if I would spend less money just yeah. because it's, I can't. I, the, the, I can't the monthly spend. thing that yeah, the, the the monthly thing that card games are doing at the moment, anyways, just like all of these like oh a battle pass, right? This is their like it's not yep. a subscription, but you still know sure. that every month I'm spending ten or twenty dollars to get you know it will always it, it will always work out to be better value in terms of the currency and the in-game stuff that you're getting um but how they how they do this basically is you spend 10 or 20 you you know you're spending it every month but it's not like a subscription it's not like (laughs) it's not like in your head you know that this is kind of a recurring thing you know it's recurring but whenever the new battle pass comes out you just buy it right it's it's a completely different model and also what you're paying for in comparison to if there was like an actual subscription model is like what what you're actually paying for to us makes it seem great because in a game like Marvel Snap where the cards are like you know seventy five to hundred dollars like oh I'm paying ten dollars for a card it's so good yeah it's good value you know what I mean so. yeah yeah that that's actually the worst about these battle passes it's like okay so let's say we could have an honest model where you get all the cards from one expansion or card set mm-hmm. for for fifty euros or you know that you could buy these cards for two hundred. Mm-hmm. But uh, for this bundle value, you can get it for a hundred instead. And then so they get you. Ma- yeah. Maybe you would actually feel better about spending that one hundred instead of that upfront fifty. Yeah, hundred percent. I I think it's so funny how Kyle. I mean, that was a great point. It already mm-hmm. exists, but these companies mm-hmm. they aren't like, hey, what if we had a monthly subscription? Like, what about both? <laughs> like, yeah. that's what they're doing. Um, yeah. It's funny you say that, Moyen, because when I was watching this documentary on on Artifact, they had uh, this content creator that was talking about uh, the price of Artifact, and you know, they were a deeply entrenched content creator. They're like, oh, I remember telling people it wasn't that expensive because people in Magic: The Gathering were paying upwards of three hundred dollars for four hundred dollars for a single deck, and in Artifact, it was three hundred dollars, you know, or five hundred dollars for the, all the cards. And it's just funny that the human brain can make that connection like it's it's logical and it makes sense, but it doesn't because magic cards are actually physical assets that retain value that you own, where this is just a digital image in a card game that's arbitrarily gated behind you not having it. And you just need the game pieces to play. But like we're like, we're like, oh, this is a parallel. This makes sense. It should be $300. That makes sense. But it's like, 
No, it doesn't make any sense. It's just yeah. arbitrarily expensive. And then like in Snap, like you talked about, things are, let's say the default price is relatively $100. If they give something for 50 bucks, somebody's like, oh my God, that's great value. Yeah. I know, yeah. All these things on Twitter are saying like, finally, we've got like the great gold bundle value. It's It's like... It's like as soon as you get like that little bit of value, everyone starts going crazy because they think they've been gifted. They're so <laughs> we're so used to this insane system yeah. that we think any bit of a discount is just insane. Yeah. Is, isn't there, syndrome. Isn't there mm. uh, like some account that does these spreadsheets on yeah. like on on value of the bundle and then like oh actually this value is is one point two value and the, the oh and they're like got a one point three value bundle let's yeah. buy it yeah let's buy it yeah let's give them because they're they're because we think we're saving this much money yeah it's just crazy man and you're still buying absolutely, absolutely nothing what? like you literally yeah. still buy basically nothing you buy a virtual mm -hmm. item that's been artificially gate kept away from you it's like it's not a real asset it's just it's insanity. It is actually pure insanity. And then um, the other, oh, man, I think I lost, I lost my train of thought. I was, I was about to say something funny about, oh, the other thing in Marvel Snap, com the community, and I'm sorry that we've detracted a bit, but it's, rel it's relevant for Larkana and online digital client, et cetera. But the Marvel Snap community has shown time and time again, that they will complain, you know, boycott in in spirit <laughs> all these different things <laughs> but then in the same post where they talk all this 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 trash about the current bundle or the price they literally have the sold icon yeah. on their bundle yeah. like the, the, this uh, unique variant that you only have if you bought the bundle they're complaining about the bundle and that it's still the bundle's still in their collection they have yeah. the card yeah <laughs> all right spoilers <laughs> all right yes the big section that uh i hope uh, any of our new listeners are here for any of our loyal listeners uh, thank you for sticking with us for, for so long um, yeah we've got two cards to spoil the first one we're going to discuss is an amethyst action card it's a three cost uninkable last ditch effort it reads exert chosen opposing character then chosen character of yours gains challenger plus two this turn it's also an uncommon card Brendan Moyen I'm going to give it over to you guys what do you think about the card very comparable to uh, freeze, which is the two-cost uninkable action that just exerts the chosen opposing character, and also the Pinocchio card, which mm. is the same cost but has a one-one body attached to it. It is very comparable to Freeze. I don't know about Pinocchio because mm -hmm. Pinocchio leaves behind a body. Um, mm -hmm. I did think this card was originally a song, <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm dealing with that revelation right now. That's actually an action. So this card is. I'll be honest with you guys. It's not very good, but it does have it does have niche implication, right? Like if there is going to be a particularly nasty threat uh, that comes out in set three or exists in the current card pool uh, that doesn't need to quest in order to have this effect. Let's say it has a very nasty static effect like Prince John, but it let's say it doesn't have ward. This card could be powerful for very myopic metagames that are focused around that card specifically. Challenger 2 is not going to be... Uh, it's going to be a lot better in set three because Challenger, I believe, does affect locations. So it's going to help does, you clear yeah. that location. So you don't even have to kill the, the character that's been exerted with this with this card. You can exert something for whatever reason that might be relevant, and then you can kill a location with the Challenger plus two. Um, both of those effects for three costs on Inkable. Right now, it currently would make uh, a, any Amethyst decks that I'm aware of, but in the context of locations coming out and new cards that could be you know, particularly troublesome with static effects, uh, it exists as a tool uh, that you have access to in set three. Also, 
I, I like that in this podcast we've we've talked about how we we need more tools <laughs> where we can like ex exert opposing characters, and then you actually need a character on your board to trade into to make aggro more, more interesting. And this is this is one of those tools. And Kawa talked about niche implications uh, before the pod where uh, the one card we could probably see this being pretty good against is Mini Mouse, mm -hmm. um, where you get to kill your opponent's Mini Mouse before it even did anything. Right now, often in the mirror, we wait until they uh, quest with Mini, and then we Pascal our evasive to, to do the trade. We play um, Crab, Peter Pan yeah. Shadow to tr yeah mm -hmm. um, Peter Pan Shadow to trade into it. But this is another way to maybe uh, get 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 rid of the character before it even quested, and then even kill it with our own Pascal or our own Mini Mouse. So there's there's definitely some implications for the card. For sure. Uh, the next card that we have to reveal is an amber card, two-cost inkable item, Wildcat's Wrench. Uh, when you exert this card, remove up to two damage from chosen locations. So uh, this is an interesting card to uh, discuss, but it also depends on all of the location cards. We, as a podcast, haven't dived too deep into all of the spoilers yet. But if there is some really important locations that you want to uh, keep safe, you could see this card, uh, you know, use it there. Overall, I don't think it's like anything crazy off the bat, but if you're against a, a type of deck that doesn't have uh, high attack cards like Maui and stuff like that, and they just kind of have smaller dudes that just do a bit of chip damage to your location, this is definitely a nice tool that can be used to heal up your location. Any, any thoughts, guys, on the card? Yeah, you know, uh, so I like that it's it's inkable. It's an item. Maybe this mm -hmm. has item synergy. Yeah. Plus, the activation on it is uh, free. Doesn't cost any resources, so it can provide incremental value under under the right circumstances. Um, the only issue I I guess I would see with the card is uh, the the circumstances aren't that easy to meet because with characters you can attack yourself or challenge yourself and then heal your character back up again. With with locations, that is that is not the case, right? They can't they can't challenge. Not the, not the way. No, it would be cool if we have a location that would living, be like you living know, location that can. If you tap. like no, or like one that like if you like tap, they're like you know you you could do something with location. Oh, right. It takes damage, and then okay. you get an advantage, and then like I don't know if that exists. If a location like that does exist in set three, I think this card could be very good. Yeah. But uh, besides that, yeah, I do agree that usually being able to heal your cards is better when you can choose to attack with them and then heal up the damage rather than yep. them just getting attacked into. So, yeah, I think putting into in that into that perspective, if we get some locations like that, I think this card could definitely see some play. Brennan? Also, okay. Uh, also, I yeah. just want to point out that, like, um, I guess, I, I don't know how often your opponent will attack into a location without actually finishing it off. So mm -hmm. it would need to be a very high HP... Uh, high priority target the location so that you would actually be able that your opponent would be incentivized to attack into it but still not be able to finish it off and then you get to heal it back up with the wildcats mm -hmm. wrench yeah brandon i feel like i'm kind of a pr nightmare for this podcast so this card is bad but <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but um i mean item item synergy is nothing to sneeze at like we've seen it we've seen we see terrible items or relatively bad items played in one of the most powerful decks that exists in the game which is ruby sapphire um like item synergy can be very 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 good um and we haven't seen all of set three yet so um like it, just because it's a two cost item it could fit in some of those decks i think that 
nowadays in the current power level of item synergy, you kind of want it to be one cost and you also want it to draw another card. Um, but yeah, I do think that the limitations on removing what you remove two damage from. So if this said remove two damage from chosen permanent, it would still be iffy. I think I think it would be a lot better. Uh, you know, if it mm-hmm. could be characters or locations, but because it is just locations, your opponent has a lot of agency whether to deal damage to those locations. I do think that this would only be relevant if there was a particularly overpowered location. Um, yeah, I, there would have to be a lot of uh, location healing synergies, which again, we'll, prob- we'll be taking a, lo- a look at the uh, leaked location, ca- or sorry, spoiled location cards over the next few episodes, but I haven't seen any to my mind at the moment. But it could be one of those things that a card could be revealed later that this could synergize well with. And like the card says in the flavor text, the right tool makes all the difference. This is absolutely not that tool, but I'm sure we'll find it in our location deck. Oh, oh let's say I, I have it. I have it. You know how okay. we have, you know how we have Beast, the card that um, Beast Tragic Hero draw a card when it's undamaged. Maybe mm-hmm. we have a location that does something only when it's full HP, so your opponent is incentivized to just poke it instead of uh, killing it off. And then the Wildcat's Ranch would be great. Mm, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Moin, Moin predicting the next card that's going to be revealed <laughs> tomorrow, guys. Yeah. When you're watching this podcast, that location will have come out. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, yeah. So moving on to the, this, this next card isn't part of our spoiler section, but it's a card that I know Brendan really wants to bring up because we oh. saw some people talk about it on, uh, on Twitter and uh, we, we discussed it a lot before the podcast. Yeah. So Brendan, read out the card for us. Okay. So. The boss is on a roll. Action, song, and ameth- amethyst. Three costs can be inked. Uh, it says, look at the top five, f- top five cards of your deck. Put any number of them on top or in the top or bottom of your deck in any order. Gain one lore. I mean, this is basically goat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. It's not a goat. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think we were talking about the level <laughs> at which this is unplayable. Like, I think that this card got a lot of traction um, on Twitter, and I just kind of want to talk about why it is not as good as people think. Um, it is not useless per se. Like, let's so three cost three cost song gain one more. Is that good enough? No, <laughs> not at all. It's not good enough. Three cost. Look at the top five cards of your deck. Put them back on, on top or bottom in any order. Is that good enough on its own for three cost? No. And what would you draw a a sort of similarity to, um, or at least a card you have to evaluate against? It's probably something like friends on the other side. That's what your current three three cost mm-hmm. song uh, slot is is currently being occupied, which this does not compare to. But I just want to point out, yeah, this card is, in my opinion, it's absolutely terrible on its own. But 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 we have new cards. APG don't be a PR nightmare for the podcast. We have new cards in set three, like the Sorcerer's Hat, in which in which in which scenario this would be a pretty good card. With that, effectively, you know, if you had not landed the Sorcerer's, I'll read out the Sorcerer's Hat real quick. The Sorcerer's Hat item in Amethyst two cost can be inked. Incredible Energy is the ability. Tap and pay one. Name a card then reveal the top of your deck. If it's the name card, put that card in your hand. Otherwise, put it on top of the deck. So you will know the top of the deck. You will know multiple cards in the top of the deck at this because you even if you draw a card, you can sequence the third card to be something you know. Um, so this is a very powerful interaction with Sorcerer's Hat. I think you need to evaluate based off the initial interaction, which is two card, pay six to draw a card. Um, like that's what I'd be and evaluating. Ga- and gain a lore. And gain a lore. And, gain and, a lore. and choose the order of some cards. Yeah, I value choosing the order a lot lower, I think, than uh, some people. But it is, yeah. it's not irrelevant. Uh, but yeah. I'd okay, let, let's um, just just to um, 
I don't think the card's great either, but I think it's better than, than you think it is. Mm-hmm. So to play Devil's Advocate for, for a little bit, let's say you're playing... So let's say so let's say it would only be three-cost song, Inkable, Gainalore. It's like, all, I think it's already not that far away from being playable because it's, you, let's say it's a card you can always use for ink, and then you have a little bit of reach, a little bit of burn left to top deck in the deck in a, in a few games that can help out. But let's let's go back to the interaction with uh, Merlin's, well, Merlin's head. First question before, would you yeah. play this card without an additional card like Hat for synergy? Like, is this card good enough on its own? Uh... Probably not, but it's like not. It's not terrible. I've seen a lot worse cards. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's. It's okay. Okay. I so think. Let's, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. To, to to talk about the head, I think the synergy is like, if you don't just value it on the initial cast, I think over the course of a few turns, the interaction is crazy. Let's say you have the you already got the book, uh, the Merlin's head down, and then on one turn you are you have three cost gain a lore, and then pay another one draw draw a card that you choose. Right, you get to choose the order. That's I. Th- I think one way you could ch- uh, choose to use this card is where you most most of the time you just let let's say you have Merlin's head on board. You just um, let all five cards stay on top. You just choose the order, and then you get to pick which card you draw with the with the head. Now, then you have a natural draw. You still mm. know what's the what's the top card. You get to do Merlin's head again. Next turn you draw another card. You get to do it again. You get three one cost draw cards of of um. Just setting up the bosses on a world once. So, That's, uh, I think on, on, right. its, on their own they're not they're not good cards, but I think together they're like very potent. Yeah, you you naturally draw. Okay, so say you stack five on top, you naturally draw card two and card th- uh, and card four, but then yes. you you sorcerer's hat draw card one, three, and five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the entire cost of drawing all of those cards is it's three, right? Well, six, five. It's like it's eight, seven, eight, 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 eight. You gain a lore, yeah. you draw three cards. Yeah, and you certain you will definitely lose temp. So both of these cards should be considered tempo losses, I think, because you're yes. Um, uh-huh. So even eight if costs, you're, even if you're singing, but like okay, singing it helps a little bit to mitigate the tempo cost. Uh, true, true, tempo true, 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 true. So but, it's not it's not just eight lore, and it's also over the course of a lot of turns. So it's like paying eight lore all at once. Uh, eight. Eight ink all at once would would be very bad, but maybe it's a lot easier to fit in this ink a little bit each time. So eight cost draw three, because um, you would have to stack five on top, so it'd be the original order anyway. Yeah. Or, and that that's two that's two card by the way. So you pay two cards for that as well. Uh, eight cost draw three, pay two cards, or you can play double friends on the other side. Two card six draw four. Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, okay, but th- th- there's, there, it's not just it's this. This is not just about baseline. This is you also gain a lore. And let's oh, say, lore, yeah. let's say you're on a spot. Uh, let's say you have six ink, and you're you're playing this, and you can only win if you draw be prepared next turn. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I'm a context hater. I know I'm like the extreme uh, value value gamer. Like no context exists. It's real. <laughs> I think the biggest the biggest point I want to take away from this is that people are evaluating the card way higher than what it actually is because they were trying to compare it to a card like Goat. I don't think yeah. that's where the value of this card comes from. I I would I'm starting to agree with Moyen more that the value of this card is actually being actually being able to fish for the cards that you want rather than the aggressiveness of getting the lore. It's kind of a bonus and like maybe if you're in an aggressive deck you're trying to get that last little um finisher piece but 
I and you gotta, you gotta I, discard I, the card though, right? Because you, you discard this card and you're already tied on cards as the aggro deck. I think that this card, I think actually, wait, the, well, people, no, this is this is not an aggro card. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's no, like, no, that's what that's what we're saying is why okay. people. This is I'm I'm yeah. I'm saying the reason why some people are thinking or trying to think why it's good is because they probably mm. think it is an aggro card. You mm. know, I think they're overvaluing the information actually, which is just classic. My my yeah, but, but, my, my but value also, of information they are, they are, is more than the I don't know. So yes, they are overvaluing the information, but also I feel like as soon as information comes into play, you're like, oh, okay. no, it's, it's it's terrible. But there's still, I mean, it's just very little value in it, but the, the value exists. It's not, it's non-zero. I'm de yeah, first, it's definitely non-zero. Uh, I'm on the extreme. Yeah. But I, first, de first deck breakdown, we're going to have a new set. It's going to be more in using this card against <laughs> right, Hold on, hold on. Yeah. No, I, I don't even like this card. I, I just <laughs> like it. I, I just don't hate it as much as Brandon. <laughs> also... <laughs> Also, with this, with the current synergy we have, it's maybe still not that great, but maybe this is uh, a theme of Amethyst in the yeah, set, yeah. and maybe there will be more cards like Merlin's Head, where knowing the top card of your deck helps you. Okay. So I think that this card's not that far away from being playable. To summarize, so I don't get roasted, I think this card sucks. If you think this card is good <laughs> on its own, you can roast me. But I do think that the interaction with Sorcerer's Hat is powerful. I think it's a powerful interaction. I think it's a good interaction. Um, I would not say that that interaction sucks. Uh, even though we did all the kind of like math on the exchange rate floor, we were talking about the floor. So worst case scenario, you're not seeing it. Um, I think that is a fine and good interaction. But ultimately, like all these information cards, I think are they're usually underrate, like severely underrate. Like something like like we we're talking about nothing to hide. Nothing to hide is mostly played because it's a cantrip and it draws it draws an additional card. Um the information of what your opponent has is non-zero. I agree with you, but I do think that some people value that as the primary thing you're getting from the card is looking at your opponent's hand. And I value it the primary thing we get from the card is uh drawing the card. So okay so that concludes our uh nice discussion on, on yeah the boss is on a roll. Um so we might be going a little bit over time, but it's up to you, Brennan. Do you want to dive into one or two spoiler cards, or do you want to save them for next week? Just pick just pick your favorite one. We'll do one. Pick my favorite one. Kava's favorite spoiler so far. Oh, God, you're putting me on the spot here. Well, there is one card I want to discuss. And, I mean, myself and Brennan, I'm probably Moyne, have known about it for a while because it was one of the uh, leaked cards. But I do think it's a card that... Uh, is worth talking about. Uh, I'm actually going to talk about one other one after this, just because I think it's hilarious. Um, so the card I'm going to talk about is Morph. Morph is a two-cost inkable card. He's a 2-1 with an emerald, and he reads, you may play any character with shift on this character as if this character had any name. What do you guys think about this card? Oh, I think it sucks. <laughs> you think it sucks? Okay. It's, uh, it's It has one HP, and the... The shifting mechanic has been, I don't know, not, so there's some shift cards that are very strong, but like the shifting mechanic itself, uh, I don't think has been great so far. Brandon. I think most of the time I'd rather play the card that, that shifts onto. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, there's a lot of flexibility, um, like in terms of inconsistency with shifting, if you have to shift something in particular, like you do for the Amber uh, Steel deck, you have to shift something very particular in order to sing. Mm -hmm. uh, Still, you wouldn't play this though because it costs two, and the thing you're shifting on costs one, and that's really important. Um, but it's hard for me to evaluate this card because whatever card it would be busted with is not does not currently exist in the metagame. Yeah. Okay. To to be fair, 
let's say there was a, ca- a extremely expensive card that has like shift three, but the only thing you could usually shift it onto was a five drop. Okay, of course it would morph it suddenly a good card. Yeah, um, you can cheat so, resources. Like that's the thing. I think the, bi- the fundamental the other- is you can cheat. Yeah, the other biggest thing is like mine, like you said, it's that one health. Like if this card ever became like a really meta-defining card in everyone's deck that in terms of oh you don't play the normal named cards, you just only play morph, then everyone would just be running cards like we're already seeing, like Teeth and Ambitions and stuff like that. Yeah. Unless there was some like busted thing at the very start, like you know, on turn one, you give something like resist plus two or something like that, mm-hmm. right? That you actually couldn't kill it. Um To yeah. be to be I, fair, I, if that happened, that would mean the card is very good. Yes, that's what I mean. It would yeah. be very good then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like although it has like dies to removal downside, if it was ever a scenario where it was warping the metagame to 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 a place where people were playing cards that killed it for a cheap rate, it means it is a fundament like a good card at at the base. Um yeah, whatever card this is broken with, I it doesn't come to mind. It doesn't exist currently in the metagame or it's not being played very frequently. I don't see it because you know a lot of these shift characters just haven't been played too much, but if you are cheating resources at any time, that is a powerful thing you can do in a card game. So if so, if the thing you have to shift it on to usually costs five and then you can pay two, um, then you cheat three resources, that's strong. All right, the final card I want to talk about before we wrap up the podcast is one that was actually revealed uh, either today or yesterday, and I want to talk about it because I think this is going to be the Gantu of set three, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a legendary card within steel, four cost, uninkable, Mickey Mouse Trumpeteer, Zero one, uh, exert. You have to pay to uh, play a character for free. I don't so, understand. You don't understand? Okay, so if you play this on turn four and on turn five, if you top it, you can play that big goofy that everybody, everyone's no, definitely no, playing. I, if I lose one more game to goofy, I'm, yeah. I'm quitting Lorcana. Was it, was, it, was, it tur- was it a tournament game that you lost? Yeah, the, the, no, I mean, I. I I topped that tournament still, but in the best <laughs> of three, I lost one game because they dropped a Goofy and I just didn't have anything. It's yeah. very frustrating. Yeah, so I don't it's, know. So, so it's four cost zero one? Yeah, four cost zero one. You tap it and pay two, and then you play a character for free. Mm, so it's not a. It's actually not a bad card. Um, because, like, again, if you cheat resources at any time, like, it's just a fundamentally powerful thing to do. Sure. Is it, is sure. it going to be a consistent card? Like, are there going to be other payoffs going to be big enough that you're looking for a two card combo and playing something that's a zero one or to, to cheat three resources? Like, maybe not, but I do think it is a powerful card, even if it won't, won't see immediate like play in the metagame. Like, it's a powerful effect. Cause like it does. Oh no, it's it's a powerful effect. Yeah, I I have to agree with that. I I just think it's so funny that if people think that this card is gonna stick, like it, okay, if you're facing something that isn't naturally running any some any type of removal, then suddenly this card is like really really good, right? Because if you just cheat out something massive for free even once, it's it's really good because you're cheating resources. But like, I don't know. I I just anyone that's um, immediately high on the card, I think is a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, actually. I doubt this will see see like uh yeah it's this true. will be in any of the best decks that we will have. No. I, even not knowing any of the cards because it's just the I don't so the investment is pretty big it's in a four cost yeah. card. Yeah, only and, and it as dies well. to yeah. anything. It doesn't mean people don't have to suddenly play cards to just so they they can kill this. If they have anything that deals damage, you they will trade up uh trade up into this mm-hmm. card. And uh, even when you get this off. 
I don't feel like it's the most crazy way to cheat resources if on turn five you're getting you're still paying two resources and you just to get one expensive card on the board. Like do we have better ways to cheat like seven cost Cinderella on the board and still it's not it's not something that people try to do a lot in the, in the Yeah, in the I mean what 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 we wanna be even cheating out like, yeah. like if, if, all, if all the ultra expensive cards in Lorcana don't immediately win the game, which is funny. Yeah. Like they're actually not they're usually just bigger stats. They're not like that much better. You know, like they're not. Yeah, they they're should. They should have like really. Removal, I mean, the the best one, like the best one, I think you could pair this with is probably Maleficent Dragon because that's the only high cost card that actually has a very good effect, in my opinion. Besides sure. that, the rest of them, like you said, are just like big stats that are just gonna get removed. The card's just gonna yeah. get removed, right? So it needs to be something. So it needs to be something that either is not easy to remove, or at least it already did something very powerful on play. If, if there was something really big, if there was something really big with Ward, would you guys think this is good? Uh, I, I, for me, I would think it would need it would need to be so because the investment's still huge and it's still very easy mm. to to die. I think it would need to be something with Ward, high stats, high lore, uh, high lore per turn, <laughs> and also have an aura effect so your opponent can't just play a lot of shitters and quests. <laughs> yeah, it has the Tiana it has, it has that, the uh, maybe it's okay. Yeah, the Tiana the text, Tiana it just has they everything. Can't, they, yeah. can't, they can't cast songs or they can't play actions. They, you draw yeah, so, 10 cards. So what you're telling me is we're basically going to get something like Infinite and Marvel Snap where it costs 20 and the only way you can actually play the card is with Mickey Mouse Trumpeteer. <laughs> yeah, I do think that Moyne's most correct here. It's just like, I think this card has been purposely over-costed um, and inevitably it's just going to be very clunky and bad for the payoff yeah, even if yeah. it's even if you do maleficent's dragon i don't hmm. think it's worth jumping through the hoops of having the, uh, this because this okay so if you cheat on maleficent dragon the two cards themselves are powerful but if you evaluate both those cards individually the mickey mouse is still trash so in order to play hmm. six cost maleficent i have to play a trash card in my deck uh you know six cost maleficent that is i don't think that that's good enough to be honest. Like I just, I really don't. And that's not even considering how, how vulnerable this card is. It's extremely vulnerable. Okay, maybe maybe we have like a nine or ten cost character, but when it comes down, it deals three damage to all opposing characters or four damage. Like so a board wipe on a character. Mm, yeah, maybe that would mm, be what we talking. need to make it make it good. Yeah, because now you have six cost to be prepared. Yeah, yeah. That also how, leaves how, up a character. How much would this? Tempo. How much would this card like if this card costed five? Okay, already I'm just making the card so much worse by giving it one extra cost. <laughs> but if this card costed five and I had ward, like what? Okay, if this card had ward, how much do you think you'd have to pay for the free card? Like pay four, pay five even? Because if this card has ward, it makes it obviously a lot better. But then you'd have to increase some more things. I think if this card just had ward now, you you slap ward on this without changing anything else, the card is. A lot better, right? Yeah, a lot better. You slap a ward on any card; it's a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, but on this card specifically, suddenly it wouldn't—they would need AOE, or maybe you're getting a good trade out of it. So, what about if there's cards in the game that actually give? Like, is it—is it? Am I getting into as Brenda was saying, much That's Christmas Land? That's pippity boo, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm getting into magical Christmas Land when I'm giving—I'm giving Mickey Mouse. Ward to then pull out something absolutely huge. Yeah, Brendan's there shaking his head. He's not having any of it. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I don't know. It just uh I don't think it's it actually. Even that's funny because it's I think the fundamentals of the card are actually not bad where you cheat resources, but 
the fact that the card itself is so vulnerable uh, is so bad alone, and it does require the two-card combo to do anything. It's just like, yeah, I'd rather not. Uh, I don't think. We would need to see a card that is much more powerful than Maleficent, uh, Nine-Drop mm-hmm. Maleficent, in order for this card to be good. Come out in set three. Agreed. Also, in, in general, I want to say, maybe this podcast is sometimes perceived as like talking shit about all the co- cards other people get excited about, but we also get excited about cards. It's just maybe mm-hmm. we're... Just I feel ones. like we're a little bit more honest. Uh, yeah, I think that's what I'm it not, is. Uh, people yeah. don't always like that, but I, I, I think it's good that we're trying to be as. It's because as it's it's what Brendan said though. I think we ha- we have we have to look at this like the floor, and I think maybe I don't know, seventy percent, eighty percent of people who want to get excited with these cards want to look at the ceiling and say this absolute crazy thing if it happens. But as competitive players, we got to be realistic about how things will usually go in a game. Yeah, like if this pops off once, yes, it will be good. How often is it going to pop off? very rarely but at the same time i i do want to say we like to be proven wrong like if if things change and something comes out like yeah we'll have a laugh about it we'll look back at our, at, at this clip or whatever and be like oh we misjudged this card but with the current context that we have now everything we're saying makes sense at least in in our opinions of course if, if not we wouldn't be saying it right so yeah like i do agree most people would probably think that we just we just dunk like, on all know, the cards yeah yeah well that's yeah. because i think that <laughs> It's standard. It's somewhat standard in the content sphere to just be overly excited and uh, optimistic about cards. But card games are are relatively objective. You reach an objective result. You either win or lose, and everybody mm-hmm. wants to win. <laughs> Trying to get you closer yep. to the <laughs> the objective result and, there. Um, and in any card game, it's always a minority of cards that actually see competitive play. That's yeah. just how it goes. Yeah, uh, I just want to for anybody who hasn't been listening to Podcana since set two or set one, late set one. Oh, we got we got thrashed in the comments for all of our evaluations. Yeah, and I so can't wait for it to happen again. <laughs> because we were we were not high on zero to hero, bibbidi babbidi boo, dinner, dinner bell. bell, and dinner bell. And, all, yeah. and I I think at least in, in set one we've ended up being right on a lot of those cuts. But I'm I'm looking forward to next spoiler season and see mm-hmm. if we can if we can repeat it or maybe this time we have a few. Terrible yeah. takes. I mean, to be honest, it's, it's probably good either way. If we have some terrible takes and they end up being terrible, it's just content and then... Oh, we also you know, just if learn. we're right, we're right. We just yeah, get better. If we're wrong yeah. about anything, please feel free to DM it to me before a large tournament. Give me the secret sauce and I'll take it to yeah. the t- tournament victory and I'll happily, I'm win. T- I'll happily yep. tell you I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have any investment in being right or wrong about card evaluations. Um, but... A lot of these cards do suck, <laughs> but that's how it works. Like, I mean, it's just, but like Moyen said, most of the cards are going to be uh, unplayable. Anyway. Anyway, um, if you're listening to this podcast and you like it and you particularly love the card reviews, then you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, we read every single review, every single review, and it's the number one thing you can do to help out this podcast. Um, so wherever you're listening, leave us a review there. We're interested to hear your feedback. There's a video version of this on YouTube at youtube.com slash at podcast. You'll see card images there to help you out. Um, and hit that subscribe way there. Twitter's at BrendanAPG. Moyen underscore HS and Kawatech underscore CG. Be sure to ke- check out Kawa's YouTube channel for the deck tech on that Ruby Amethyst aggro deck. You can get a lot more details and how to play the deck and take it to your own first seed Swiss at a tournament. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.